You are listening to LEC Online Church, a ministry of Lake Erie Church in Madison, Ohio. We are a multicultural, multi-generational Pentecostal church. For more information, please visit our website at lakeeriechurch.com. Now, we hope you enjoy today's message. Today we are concluding the study in 1 Corinthians. It's been 10 weeks and uh, I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed teaching and preaching uh, out of this great, uh, great book. Uh, so much so that I'm announcing to you that I am writing a book about 1 Corinthians. And uh, I hope it'll be ready by Christmas and uh, we'll see. But it's been a, it's been a, a very thought-provoking and inspirational journey. For those of you that may not have been here all 10 weeks, uh, we have been looking at the letter of 1 Corinthians through the lens of Lake Erie Church. Paul was writing to a group of believers in the city of Corinth, which is the southern part of Greece. But in reality, by the Spirit of the Lord, we believe that God has been speaking to Lake Erie Church. He's been talking to us about what it means to be a believer in a world that has become so secular that it no longer recognizes God. We've been talking about what it means to live our lives in such a way that people will want to know about Jesus because of what they see in our lives. We've talked about navigating the difficult and sometimes complex issues of faith and life and relationships with one another. We've talked extensively about the fact that there are people in a church like this with several hundred people, dynamic personalities and differences galore, but yet one unifying piece of life. And that is the cross of Jesus Christ, that in Jesus Christ we are one, regardless of our economic backgrounds, regardless of the color of our skin, regardless of the type of home that we grew up in, regardless of our religious upbringing, our training, or lack thereof, we have that unifying relationship because of Jesus and because of the cross. So today it just seems fitting to me to conclude this study in Corinthians out of this incredible chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, As has been the case in every chapter, Paul is addressing an issue that has arisen in the church regarding some false teachers who came along teaching that there is no resurrection, that in reality whatever your life is, it is, and then when you die, it's over. There is nothing after death, and that's the perennial question for humanity, is it not? What happens after we die? We live a short time on this earth. The Bible says uh, 72 years is a normal life. If we live longer than that, we're blessed. But what happens after death? And it really depends on where your belief system resides. If you are a follower of Islam, a Muslim, then you believe that your soul is captured by the angel of death when you die. And it's held in captivity until the Day of Atonement. 
if you grew up a Hindu, you believe in re reincarnation and you believe that you just continue to be reincarnated uh, until you find the perfect life that you're supposed to live. If you're a Christian, you believe that you have a soul that is eternal and that eternal soul lives on forever regardless of whether you do right or wrong, your soul lives forever. If you do what is right, you spend eternity in heaven. If you do what is wrong, you spend eternity in hell. And so this question about what happens after death is, is a question that has befuddled all of humanity. In fact, go to any bookstore and you will see lots and lots of books describing what happens after death. There are people who testify that they've died and come back and have told their stories about what that experience was like. But there's one thing this morning that is absolutely certain. You're going to die. No matter who you are, no matter what you have done in and with your life, you're going to die. The Bible said in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27, it's appointed unto man once to die and then to be judged by God. Now it's interesting that we spend so much of our time and money trying to cover up the evidences of our age and decay. I told the worship team today that uh, we now have a remote camera. You probably saw them moving around and I said, your pimples will show up today. To which one of the ladies said, well, I'm so glad I brought enough cover to cover. We do that, don't we? We dye our hair. We, we do all kinds of things to, to resist the inevitable, irresistible fact that we're going to die. We're getting older and it's going to happen. But what happens after is what Paul is dealing with here in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, I just find it important this morning before we get to that larger question to take just a second to point out what I believe Paul wanted so specifically for the people at Corinth to get right first. Okay, so you've got a question about afterlife. We'll talk about that. But before we do that, it's important that you get this right because if you don't get this right, the question about afterlife means nothing. And I want you to see it. It's powerful. It's verses 3 and 4. If you don't have your Bible, you'll see it up on the screen. Paul is going to give all of us this morning the foundation on which all of this rides. And if what I'm about to read to you is not true, then nothing matters. Nothing matters. And there's something else, and I hope you can see it. It's not marked on the screen, so you'll have to look for it. There's something else there that I believe is critically important and I'll point it out to you in just a moment. Verse 1, let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then. You still stand firm in it. He's talking to the people in Corinth. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message that I told you. Unless, of course... You believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important. 
and what had also been passed on to me. Here it is. Christ died for our sins just as the scripture said. Now Paul said, look, I'm going to tell you what's the most important thing you have to know. It's not about what happens after you die. It's the fact that Christ Jesus died for your sins just as the scripture said. That he was buried and raised from the dead on the third day just as the scripture said. Now Paul says three things you have to believe because all of your salvation depends on what you think about these three things. You have to believe that Jesus Christ is God's only begotten Son. <coughs> that Christ died on the cross for our sins. And that He was buried and raised from the dead. If you don't believe those three things, there is no salvation. And then what does it matter about the afterlife? Those three things are critical, Paul said. So as he's getting ready to talk to them about what's going to happen after death, he wants them to understand that the most critical, most important of all is to get those three things settled in your heart. Jesus Christ is God's Son and He died for your sins and He was raised from the dead just like the Scripture said that He was. And then he says something very important. I don't know if you caught it, but I hope you did. It's the five words that said, just as the scriptures said. What are you saying, Paul? Paul is saying to Lake Erie Church, to every person hearing me this morning, every person who will listen to this podcast in the weeks to come, that if you don't have a conviction that what is recorded in this book is true. If you don't believe that, then you don't have anything to build your life on. It's the fact that this book is true. That what the Bible says is true. That Jesus is God's son. That he died on the cross. That he was resurrected, raised from the dead. Just like the scripture said. Because there is an attack that is taking place in the world about the Bible and about whether or not the Bible is true. In fact, you may, I don't know if you follow the same social media sites that I do, but I've been so exasperated this week because people have been tearing apart the Scripture to justify their alternative lifestyle. But if you believe what the Bible says, Paul said, you can weather the storms. You may not be popular, you may not fit in with some people, but you can weather the storm. But if you don't believe that the Bible is true, then you don't have anything at all to build your life on when the enemy comes to attack the fundamentals of your faith and truth. And brothers and sisters, we are living in a day when the truth of God's word is under attack. And if we don't believe that God's word is true, we will not be able to withstand <clears throat> the temptations that are coming. 
And Paul makes that point, I think, because it's so important. I didn't see it at the first. He's going to talk about the afterlife. He's going to talk about what's going to happen to our bodies and how we're going to spend eternity. But he said it won't matter if you don't believe that the Word of God is actually true. Now, remember that Paul is addressing this issue that false teachers have shown up and they're teaching that there is no resurrection, that Jesus did not rise from the dead. And as a result of that, there's no resurrection for saints. And so we just should live as if there is no tomorrow. Now, you might say, well, how in the world does a false teacher like that get an audience in the church at Corinth? You would be surprised. That the enemy is so subtle, he doesn't come and directly attack the gospel, but he comes subtly with little things, just like he did with Eve in the garden. And just at the periphery, just talks about it in a way to raise the question, did God really say, did God really mean this? Now the Corinthian people, as I told you in the very beginning, they considered themselves to be very enlightened people. They loved inviting speakers in. They loved bringing in people to talk, even about topics that were controversial and, and, and odd because they felt like they were so enlightened. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about their bragging, about their superior knowledge, that they were so mature that they could discern it. But what happened here, these teachers came along and said, you folks have been fooled, there is no resurrection. And they were like, what? And they began to believe it and they write to Paul. These were probably, probably some of those former Sadducees that Jesus dealt with because they didn't believe in the resurrection either. The church at Corinth was mainly a Gentile church. But there still were a number of Jews who came to faith there in that particular church. Why am I talking about this like this? Here's what I'm talking about. The church that you attend, this church here, it's not a cult. I know somebody told you it was a cult. It's not. We don't make you drink Kool-Aid here. Unless you're in kids' church, they're drinking Kool-Aid down there today. We don't make you dress like we tell you, like we, like, you know, like we dress. You dress however you want to. Just be modest. Just be respectful. We don't make you think the way that we think. We don't. Challenge, we believe in free expression. If you come to church here, you notice that we worship in a very free kind of way. Everybody kind of does their own thing. But there is one thing that we will not compromise on. And that is the truth that is preached or taught from this pulpit or any classroom in our church. Because the fact of the matter is, just any teaching won't do. I don't care what credentials a person has. I don't care what their background is. Just any teaching won't do because if, it's not, if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, it has no place here. It has no place here. Whatever we teach, we have small groups that are meeting. Different people have small groups in their home, Bible studies, and we, we stay connected to that because it is important what's being taught. What's being shared in those places. And the church at Corinth, 
got into trouble because they weren't aware that the enemy was coming after them so hard. Not much has changed. Jude chapter 1, this won't be on the screen. Jude chapter 1 verse 3, he writes, he said, Now I find that I must write you about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God entrusted once for all to His holy people. I say this because ungodly people have wormed their way into your church, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they denied our only Master and Lord Jesus. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Even in those days there were false prophets, just as there will be false teachers among you today. They will be men who suddenly introduce dangerous heresies. They will deny the Lord who redeemed them. And it won't be long before they bring on themselves their own downfall. Many will follow their pernicious teaching and therefore bring discredit on the way of truth. In their lust to make converts, these people will exploit you for their bogus arguments. Now you can think that I'm off my rocker, but I've been around a while. I wasn't born, I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. There are people who want to steer you away from God's truth. And you've got to know what is true, and you've got to build your life on the things that will survive the storms that are taking place. Jesus said in Mark chapter 13, heaven and earth shall pass away, but not my word. His word will stand. So what the enemy does is he very subtly will attack the outsides, the the perimeter if you please. But in this very attack, when you're attacking the resurrection, you are in fact attacking the very foundation of our salvation. You know this verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but what? Have eternal life. So if there is no eternal life, then does Jesus die for us? If there is no shall not perish, does it mean that the cross lost its power? This is the way the enemy tried to work at Corinth, and that's, this is the way the enemy tries to work in today's world. So let me offer this to you. Paul refutes the false teachers by offering six if statements. I want to give all six of them to you, and I don't want you to get nervous because I know you've already figured out how long it takes me to tell you three things, but here's six things. Stop laughing, Dustin. Six things. Here they go. Let's, we'll go right through them. If you, if you can mark them, they'll be on the screen. Number one, if Jesus is not alive, he says our preaching is a waste of time. It's a waste of time. If Jesus Christ has not been raised, Paul said, our preaching is useless. You say, well, pastor, isn't there still a lot of Christianity left even without a resurrection? No. Without the resurrection, the teaching of Jesus only condemns us more with no power to set us free. Without the resurrection, the cross becomes an empty promise that would never be fulfilled and that we could never lay hold of. 
Without the resurrection, all the preaching, teaching, testimonies, all the Christian songs and writings that have been published, all the missionary work and benevolence done in the name of Jesus is wasted. Without the resurrection, Jesus is just another dead Jew crucified by the Romans. No resurrection robs preaching of its power and its impact. And for the Apostle Paul, it was all or nothing. The appearance of the resurrected Jesus had convinced him that the gospel of Jesus Christ was the power to save all men. Here's number two. If Jesus is not alive, Paul says our faith is useless. Verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worth nothing. Let me ask you a question. What would be the reason to come to church on Sunday if Jesus was not resurrected? What would be the value of going to a Bible study or reading the scriptures or even trying to believe with faith that God would help you raise your kids if there's no resurrection? Faith without without a resurrected Jesus is not a Christian faith. It's just, it reduces Christian teaching to a moral philosophy. And that's what a lot of people want you to believe. That Jesus was just a good man. Like Mohammed or Confucius or Buddha. Just a good person. No, he wasn't. He was God's only begotten son. He wasn't just a good man. That's why the resurrection is important. Number three, if Jesus is not alive, the apostles are liars. Let me ask you a question. If you thought I was a liar, would you come and hear me preach? Don't say no too loud. But that's what Paul said. He said, listen, if Jesus is not alive, all the apostles, including myself, we're just a bunch of liars. We've staked our life on the fact that Jesus is alive. Our reputation depends on the fact that there is an empty tomb. If it's not, then every teacher and every preacher of the gospel is just a phony. Number four, if Jesus is not alive, we are still lost, Paul said, in our sin. Verse 17, he said, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sin. Without a resurrection, it's all just a religious game, is it not? If there's not an empty tomb, we're just playing games here. Apart from the resurrection, there is no proof that God accepted the work of Calvary to redeem us from. Because the fact that he brought Jesus out of that grave reveals to us he has the power to do whatever he chooses and he chooses to forgive us and wash our sins away. Number five, if Jesus is not alive, our loved ones are gone. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, all who died believing in Christ are lost. There is no way to manage death. And I just want to stop right here and brag on Diana George and what she is doing for our church with our grief share ministry. People are showing up every week. We had new people this week. We were offering it here at the church. We're offering it at the Painesville Y. We're offering it online for people that can't get to a physical place. It's hard to deal with death. It's hard to deal with losing our loved ones. But the hope 
that we have is that because of a resurrected Jesus, our loved ones will be seen again. That we will be together again. But if there is no resurrection, our children, our parents, our friends who were taken from us, to whom we bid a weeping farewell, we will never see them again. They're gone forever, Paul says. And finally, number six, he says, if Jesus is not alive, we are miserably without hope for eternity. Verse 19, if, the, if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. It's because without a resurrection, there is no meaning to this moment. There is nothing to stake your life on. Whatever hope we might have had in the future is gone. We're left to accept that what we have here is as good as it will ever be. We go back to our same miserable, lonely, despairing lives that we had before we got saved. Remember what you were before God saved you? If there's no resurrection, you go back there. And who wants to do that? And Paul said, when you think about that, we are the people that should be most pitied of all. But then he says this, but Jesus did rise from the dead. There is an empty tomb. I've been there. I've seen it. He's not there. The angels told the women, you seek the living among the, seek the dead among the living. He is not here. Jesus did rise from the grave. Paul writes about it in, in verse 4. He says, he was buried and raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I was born at a wrong time, I saw him myself. How do we know that Jesus is alive? Because people saw him. People saw Jesus after he came out of that grave. And Paul talks about that. And here's, here's fascinating to me. There are ten different appearances of Jesus that were witnessed and seen by people on the earth after Jesus was resurrected. Nine of them are in the Gospels. Here they are. He was seen by Mary Magdalene in the, and, and written about by the, in the Gospels of John and Mark. He was seen by the woman who was with Mary at the tomb in the garden in Matthew's Gospel. He was seen by the two men walking the Emmaus Road in the Gospel of Luke. He was seen by Simon Peter as written in Luke and 1 Corinthians. He was seen by the ten apostles and the others in the Gospels of Luke, John, and Mark. He was seen by the eleven and others in the Gospel of John. He was seen by seven followers by the sea in the Gospel of John. He was seen by over 500 followers in Galilee as recorded in Matthew and Mark and in Paul's writing which I just read to you. He was seen by the apostles in Jerusalem as recorded in the Gospels of Luke and Mark and Acts and 1 Corinthians. And finally, number 10, he was seen by James, his own earthly brother, Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians. You know what that tells me? In a court of law, that's called irrevocable eyewitness testimony. 
Jesus is alive this morning, church. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what the critics say. I don't care what the false teachers say. Jesus Christ is alive today. And because he's alive, you and I are alive in him. So what does that mean? Let's wrap it up. What does it mean that Jesus is alive? Paul wants to make sure that, that the, uh, the Corinthian church understands a couple of really important things. The fact that Jesus is alive tells me he's coming back. The fact that Jesus is alive, Paul says, means he's coming back. Listen to this, verse 20. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Listen to this phrase. But there is an order to the resurrection. Christ was raised as the first then all who belong to Christ will be raised when He comes back. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus is coming back. Somebody let Naomi know we're five minutes away. Jesus is coming back. Listen to what Jesus Himself said, His own words. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. There are those critics Peter said they're going to rise up in the last days and they will say, where is the promise of His coming? Let me just tell somebody in this house today, Jesus said, I'm coming back and that's good enough for me. Jesus Christ is coming back to earth again and the resurrection proves it that Jesus is coming back. Something else Paul wanted them to know is that the last page of this story is going to be something. I mean, the last page of this story, if you read the, the continuance of this chapter, you read the end of this, you realize this is going to be something at the end. Listen to what he says. After that, the end will come, and he will turn the kingdom over to God. He's talking about what's going to happen after we die. When it's all over, we get to the end of this, he's going to turn over the kingdom to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all of his enemies beneath his feet. Notice this. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. You ever like, I like to read novels. I love to read the Grisham novels. My sons, we read these books together and I love them. In fact, there have been a couple of them that the ending was so bizarre it made me want to throw the book across the room. When you read the story of how this is going to end, when you read the story of what your life and my life is going to be like when this is over, folks, I'm telling you, this is going to be something. 
You and I, if we're alive when the rapture takes place, we're going to be transformed from wherever we are into the presence of the Lord. I was never allowed to watch Star Trek when I was a boy. My mother believed there was demonic powers over that show and so never let me, which made me want to sneak around then and watch the show. And there was a part of Star Trek that fascinated me. When they would step into that glass cube and they would close that door and they would shoot up through the, the top and be, you know, transformed to another location, another place and then would wake up and they would be on an island or a planet or whatever it was. As crazy as this may sound to some of you sitting in this room or listening to me right now, the Bible said the Lord of glory is going to step out on the clouds and the trumpet of God is going to sound. And those of us that are alive and remain are going to be caught up in the air. We're going to be caught up in the air. When I was pastoring my very first church, there was a series of uh, movies that was made about the rapture. And so I rented one of them, and on a Sunday night, we played that. And at the very end, of course, the very end of it is people that missed the rapture, and they're screaming and crying and all upset because their loved ones are gone, and they don't know what's happened to them. And I turned the lights on, and about the whole church was in the altar. Just about the whole church was in the altar. Everybody was scared to death. One of these days, the churches are going to be packed with people trying to figure out what happened because their loved ones are gone. Can you imagine how CNN or Fox News or the New York Times, Washington Post, Los Angeles Times, how they're going to explain it? Millions missing. No evidence, no, no nothing. They're just gone. What happened was the bridegroom slipped in and call his bride and we're gone. It's going to be a fascinating experience. That the Bible says is going to happen for those who are ready when the Lord comes. Now the important thing is you've got to be ready. Jesus told the story of the ten virgins. Five that were foolish who did not make preparation and languished around, and because they did, they weren't ready when the bridegroom came. And though they were virgins, they were still left because they were not ready. My fear for some of you is that you will come to church your whole life, but you won't be ready. You've allowed the cares and the sins of your life, you've allowed the circumstances and temptations and appetites that have taken hold in your life to pull you away from your readiness and the rapture will take place and you will know I know you will you will know when you can't find your mother you can't find your brothers and sisters you'll know the rapture took place and I missed it because I wasn't ready and it doesn't have to be that way you can be ready this morning. You can walk out with a full confidence that my heart and my life is clean and it's ready if Jesus comes. There's something else Paul says. He says that 
that catching away of the living saints is also going to include the catching up and the resurrection of all those that have passed. I get questions like this all the time. Somebody stopped me the other day out here in the hallway and said, let me ask you a question. What do you think about cremation? I said, I don't think about cremation much. But when I do, I got no problem. I said, well, what about, the, what about the rapture and the resurrection? I said, listen, if God made my body, he knows where all my body parts are. People that died on those space capsules and were buried at the sea, you don't think God knows where they are? But here's the thing about it. It's not this old body that we're going to have. It's going to be a new body. Made, the Bible said, and fashioned after his likeness. Changed. He said, Rachel read it. If you heard what she said, she said, we're going to be transformed. Meaning that we're going to be formed in a different way. When I was finishing this up a couple of days ago, it was about the time that Brother Don had had his fall. And I, Sly Link was telling me the other day about a, experience he had with Brother Don out there in the parking lot. And yes, Brother Don, I'm talking about you right now. You know Don, you know how stubborn he is. It was icy, it was slick. Somebody wanted to help him get in. He didn't want nobody helping him. So here he comes across that icy parking lot with his walker. His body's crippled because of the age. But one of these days he won't need a walker. You hear what I'm telling you? One of these days, his body will be transformed into a new body. Paul said it like this. He said, this mortal body is going to put on <coughs> immortality. This mortal body is going to put on immortality. This corruptible, he said, this body that gets old and ages and becomes decrepit, it's going to lay down all of its incorruption, its corruption and pick up incorruptible body that will never age and never grow old. Heads up, sound guys, I need some music ready to go in the system in a moment when we start playing for the kids. We're gonna, not going to have anybody on stage playing or singing. I was born in a great family. My mom and dad loved the Lord and both of their parents loved the Lord. My grandmothers and grandfathers were all godly people. By the grace of God, I've been able to preach the funeral of every one of my grandparents. The first one to pass away was my grandmother Isaac's, my dad's mom. And I remember the day that, that we went out to the cemetery, the day of the funeral, my dad and I did to make sure everything was set up out there, that the grave would be open and all the provisions would be made by the time we arrived. It was the first time that I recall anyway that I had ever taken a family member to a grave. Now I had a brother, Robert, who died when I was very small, but I was so small I don't even remember that. But when my grandmother died, I went out there. I've, I've done many funerals, of course, but I'd never taken one of my family members out. So I'm standing out there and my dad's talking to the guy at the cemetery about all the particulars and all the stuff. 
And I'm just kind of staring out in the distance. Cemetery was up on a hill. I'm just looking out there in the distance. I'm listening to what they're saying, but I'm really focused at a distance. And when they finished, I said, sir, can I ask you a question? I said, yes. He said, yes, of course. I said, where we're looking right now, what direction is that? He said, well, Reverend, that's the east. I said, so you're telling me right there that's the east? I said, yeah. I said, show me how my grandmother is going to be buried. Where, where, where will the head of the casket be? And he said, it'll be right here. He said, traditionally, we always bury facing the east. And I just had a little chill in that moment. And I, I whispered out loud. I said, Grandma, they're already going to be in the resurrection position. How do I know that? Because Jesus said it this way. He said, as the lightning shineth from the east unto the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. He's coming. And when he comes, Paul said, he's going to gather up his children, and we will forever be with the Lord. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Maybe you're sitting here today. Maybe you're watching me this morning. Maybe you're listening, and you realize that if the rapture of the church, the rapture of believers was to take place this morning, you're not ready. You're not ready to meet the Lord. You're not ready to meet the Savior. And you know that you've got to make some things right. But you don't want to miss heaven. You don't want to miss the end of this. And there's a way that you can do that this morning. You're going to have the opportunity in just a moment to pray a very simple prayer. A prayer that does all three of those things we talked about at the beginning. That acknowledges that Jesus is God's Son. That believes that Christ died for your sins. And that He will forgive you of your sins. I want to encourage you this morning that if you are not ready to meet the Lord. You're not ready if this should be the last day that you live upon this earth. Because there is no promise of tomorrow. And I'm not trying to scare anybody. But I have an obligation to speak truth into your life. And that is that you never know what a day will hold. So make provisions today. Choose Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Make Him your Lord. Tell Him that you're sorry. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. And if you're sincere, He will. He will wash away every sin that you have ever committed in your whole life. You can belong to him. We hope you were blessed by today's message. Now we invite you to visit one of our services soon. For more information, please visit us at lakeeriechurch.com.